Welcome to This Epic Life, the podcast. My name is Bailey Bennett-Andrade, here with the CEO of Epic Education, Dr. Nancy Dome. And today we're talking with guest Nicole Kukerl. She's a program specialist for English language arts and history social science. The reason we have Nicole here today is she actually championed the work of an equity audit rubric that ended up challenging a huge textbook contract. So today, Nicole, we want to tell your story through the RIR lens. So could you walk us through what is it that you recognize that motivated you to create this equity audit rubric? Thanks, Bailey. Yeah, um, so when we engaged in the process of adopting new social science materials in our school district, we um, really had the FAIR Act in our mind. And for those of you who don't know what the FAIR Act is, it was a piece of legislation that was passed in California that really required social studies materials in particular to be inclusive of all groups, um, African-Americans, um, Mexican-Americans, which is the language used in the law, LGBTQ Americans, people with disabilities, and other, other groups as well. And we knew that there was a propensity by publish, publishers, textbook publishers, to really include that dominant narrative, the white male Eurocentric narrative of history. Um, and we recognized that and we wanted to challenge it. Um, but we also knew that in order to challenge it, we needed some really clear criteria. Um, that's where the idea of the equity rubric was born. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, because when I think about how we traditionally have taught um, history, it really is through that primary lens. And so I really appreciated as we started to do that work of you really grappling with how do we do this differently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so that's your recognize. So you recognize, you recognize the issue and, um, and then you set forth to interrupt it. So what was the next step? How did you interrupt it? So we interrupted it. I mean, really, you know, we had the opportunity in our district to work with Nancy and the EPIC team um, in some leadership work that we were doing for all of our managers. And um, so I really brought this, this challenge to my small group and worked it through with them. And they gave me a lot of ideas. And so um, the interruption was really to create a rubric that we could use that was grounded in critical race theory that would allow us to identify some very clear indicators of materials that would be acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, and so Nancy shared a lot of race, critical race theory resources with me. Um, and I use those as a basis for creating, creating the rubric that I know that you can view on the Epic website as well. Um, and so then of course, the challenge was fleshing that out, getting feedback and sharing it with our adoption committee and preparing them to use it as well. So, you know, really all of that was in preparation for interrupting. Yeah. Um, and what was it, and what was it like, um, share with them what was it like when you kind of took your first draft to the adoption committee? And <laughs> it was scary. I mean, you know, these conversations are always uncomfortable. And when you're having conversations about race um, and inclusion with people that you don't know very well, it can be even more scary because you just don't know where they sit. And so, um, so we hosted some professional learning for our committee prior to our adoption process, which was listening to publisher presentations, selecting a pilot, that kind of thing, because we really wanted to make sure that our adoption committee understood the process and understood this rubric and understood what we were looking for. And we wanted to develop 
that community and a common a common language and a common understanding with them. And so I remember the day that we rolled out the rubric, I kind of explained to them the context, how it was created. And, and then I said, um, you know, I'm just going to give you some time to read through this before we work with it and practice on some materials. And, um, you know, let me know if you have any questions and we can clarify. And so, you know, so I explain and then I pass out the rubric and then I just like let them sit with it for a minute. And the, the room was so quiet. <laughs> it was silent. I could have heard a pin drop. And it was just this moment, like, you know, when you're in front of an audience and there's zero noise and zero movement, it's so difficult to read the room. And I had this like moment of panic. Yeah. And I remember texting Nancy saying like, oh my gosh, like no one's saying anything. <laughs> and she's like, it's going to be okay. So that was, um, that was the moment. And honestly, it was okay. I mean, once we opened the conversation and yeah. people started interacting with the rubric and looking at materials, the conversation was really rich and they could identify where our current materials prior to our adoption um, were really lacking in terms yeah. of how we were including a, a variety of communities and how we were telling their stories. Yeah, and you know, and, and I think what the, the really important message, and I love when you share that, because I, I remember, I literally remember getting that text <laughs> message from you, and you're like, it's crickets, Nancy, and I'm like, just take a deep breath, it's going to be okay. So just unsettling. Let, <laughs> let, them, let them breathe through it. But, you know, I think that it's important to share that discomfort, though, right, because you were in it, and interruption is not easy. Like, we, we have been kind of trained away from like interrupting and, and being in conflict. And, uh, and so we never, we're not practiced at speaking our truth and asking tough questions and having those kinds of discourse. And so I think that the important message about interrupt is that we have to really learn how to just sit in it and, mm -hmm. and know that it's not gonna, it doesn't, you know, interrupt is, you know, it's called interrupt for a reason. Even when you're doing it with compassion, it's still hard, mm -hmm. right? And so, and I think people will avoid it because of, of, of the feeling that it's too hard or too uncomfortable. And so we really have to, you know, kind of condition ourselves to get used to being in that place of discomfort, knowing that it's for a greater purpose, mm -hmm. right? That, that, right? That the outcome is worth this moment of uncertainty. Um, and, and that doesn't, I mean, we had a really happy outcome with you, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always lead to that. But the mm -hmm. process allows us to lean in in a way that we traditionally don't. So, you right. know, I think when I think about interrupt, it's like normalizing discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like normalizing that uncertainty. So Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. hard though. It's hard, but it's necessary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, do you feel like that you're um, like more able to do that? Like with practice that you're able to sit in that space a little more? Yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, you know, just last week, I had a parent phone call upset about um, a teacher uh, weaving in the social justice standards into their English curriculum. And so, you know, as we navigated that conversation, it just feels, it is uncomfortable because we do have to talk about issues where we fundamentally disagreed and address and address it kind of head on as our district does much more explicit social justice and racial justice work. Um, but it, it was, it was definitely easier than it used to be to sit in that, to sit in that discomfort, to have 
a moment of disagreement and to, to discuss how we were going to move forward in the conversation to support her as well, because, you know, it's tricky. Like, we still want to make sure that all families feel included and, and their students feel included in our system. And at the same time, we do have to hold a high expectation that all means all. And sometimes that is going to make some people feel uncomfortable, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Thank you. So, so the repair, so repair really calls mm -hmm. us to like lean back in. So we've done the interruption. You wreck it. You created this uh, rubric was part of the interruption. You introduced it to your team. Um, you talked about it. You practice using it. What was it? What's the repair for you in that? Well, for me, I mean, it was really um, once, once the rubric went live <laughs> and we were actually using it to, um, to evaluate materials in the context of publisher presentations. It was almost like the repair of this larger situation, which was the rubric also fit within kind of a mini cycle of RIR, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so, the, so this is what happened. We typically, as part of our process, hear from all of the publishers um, that submitted materials and get them approved through the state. And there was a publisher that came that we were presenting to I'm sorry, that was presenting to us. And during the course of the presentation, um, the presenter made some pretty blatant racist and transphobic remarks. And um, it was like you could hear the air being sucked out of the room in that moment. And so, um, so after the presentation was over, um, a couple of the committee members approached me and they said, Nicole, like that wasn't okay. Um, we, we can't move forward with this. And I said, I agree with you. And so I'm going to have a conversation with the publisher. And so I did, you know, after that presentation, there was a break and I, I went to the publisher and I said, listen, I said, there were some pretty problematic statements that were made. Um, you know, this, this is going to likely jeopardize your chances of moving forward in a pilot. Our committee needs to still talk about it, but, um, there were definitely some committee members that were, upset by some of the statements that were made, right, understandably so. And, you know, we're gonna need to talk about this. And so, you know, in, in that moment when I've got publishers cycling through, there isn't a lot of opportunity for a deep discussion. But after that day was over, and of course the committee did not choose to move that particular publisher forward in terms of a pilot, um, I did, I did, go back to the publisher and say, we need to have a conversation now. And, and here is what was problematic in that moment. And this is what upset the committee and it upset me. And I said, and here's what's problematic in the materials. And so we need to talk about this. And, and really the company to their credit, um, they were very open to the conversation. They invited additional feedback. Um, because they they said that they wanted to get better. And so so we did. So we moved forward in that way. And I was able to provide them some really concrete feedback about some of the some of the problematic um, statements that I saw in their materials. And also again with the with the presenter. Um, and I do believe that they followed up with the presenter to have a conversation about the inappropriateness of some of her comments. Um, and so so that repair wasn't, it doesn't mean I think this is something that we've learned also with you, Nancy. It doesn't mean that everything is okay and we're smiling at the end of it and we're best friends. 
but it does mean that we're in a place where we can move forward um, in order to affect change. Right. So I was able to move forward with the company in a conversation that was very difficult, but I do also believe that that conversation impacted their hearts and minds and actions in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And and so you have it on both levels. You have the repair for your system, right? So that you're mm -hmm. not um, adopting something that is fundamentally opposed to who you say you are in your mission, right? And the work mm -hmm. that you've done over the last few years, but also the larger repair. And we never know where that is. I mean, that wasn't your motivation, but to be able to have that opportunity to lean in with the publishers and actually affect change that is now going to impact, you know, thousands of other people literally mm -hmm. of other students and children who will engage with this with this material um so the interrupt the one thing about that that i um, when when you said that they were uncomfortable with the statements um that was separate from the rubric right so the the textbook itself was problematic based on your rubric and what you were looking for mm -hmm. and then the statements kind of um compounded that is that kind of what i'm hearing yeah, I think so. And because we had the rubric, we also had a language to attach the discomfort to. Yeah. So that was really helpful as well. And it made the conversation then much more objective and much less emotional, yeah. um, which was also helpful. Yeah. And I think and I think that's what's powerful. Like your, your example that you've shared is really about how we affect systems change. Like when we're looking at changing something that's that's wrong in the system without that rubric, it really makes me wonder. I mean, those comments might have still been problematic, right? But I um, wonder if, you get, if you're able, you know, to go past the comments because you're looking for, um, you don't have that language for what you're looking for. And the rubric really helped you decide, like this, we're, we're kind of tired of adopting curriculum mm -hmm. that still has a singular narrative that marginalizes people of color and and, right. uh, and, and, and others um, and, to, and to do that. The, the one thing I do wanna add that you didn't share, Nicole, as part of the repair is that they actually got in the plane, right? And flew out to meet with you to hear your feedback. Well, so that was a different publisher. That was actually the publisher that we ended up adopting. Oh, um, okay. So that's, that's also a really interesting story, um, an RIR story that continues to this day, but um, <laughs> I remember like we adopted materials and I'm just going to say none, none of the materials that are being put out by big publishers are perfect. Like right. we have a lot of work to do yeah. and they have a lot of work to do. So yes. it is what it is because those materials are largely written still by the people in academia, which are white men mm -hmm. by and large, right? White, cis, straight men. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyway, there was, uh, when we were in the middle of our, or right, I guess right beginning our launch where we had like hundreds of teachers coming to do the professional learning to roll out these materials, um, a news story in an education publication came up about the set of materials that we adopted, talking about racist undertones or explicitly racist language in other states. So the company has like different versions of the materials based on other, based on um, the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, I saw this, I think one of my team members alerted me to it. And I immediately got on the phone with, with my rep and said, tell me about this because this is, this is a big problem. And so he said, we'll be out tomorrow. So he and the upper management of his company got on a plane 
and flew to meet me and my team and the president of our teachers association like the next day. And we met with them and, um, and really shared our concerns. And, you know, the blatant examples of racism that were cited in this education article were not present in the materials that they published for California. So I just wanna be really clear about that. There were some problematic things that needed to be changed. And so our, my team, my staff and I advocated for that change. Um, and then ultimately, you know, we had a difficult but productive conversation and ultimately the company did make changes to their materials. And in California to make changes to published materials once they've been adopted by the State Board of Ed is exceedingly difficult. Mm -hmm. The law really doesn't allow for it very well. Um, it's very expensive for companies to do that. And in order to do it, they have to go through the Instructional Quality Commission, which is a board advisory group and the State Board of Ed. And so the company, I think, spent about $400,000 to make the changes that we had requested and maybe some other folks as well in California and um, put that forward to the, to the IQC, the Instructional Quality Commission. And ultimately, those changes were approved in the State Board of Ed. And so this, this was also an example of, you know, seeing something, recognizing that there's an issue. Yeah having that conversation and being willing to say like, listen, we need to talk about this because it's not okay with us. Yeah. And then to their credit, li they listened. So they flew out, had this conversation with us, allowed it to get uncomfortable and they did make a change. And that change is now permanent in their materials. And it is a direct result of what my, my team and I advocated for. Um, I truly believe that. And, and the company was, company did, um, you know, they put their money where their mouth was. Yeah. They said mm -hmm. they'd make a change. Now, is it perfect? Nope. There are still other changes we'd like them to make. Mm -hmm. um, and there always will be. We will continue to push on, mm -hmm. on companies and we'll continue to push on the system until, until, it's, until it's better, yeah. until it's oh, where right. it needs to be, until it's right, until it's just. We will keep doing yeah. that. But mm -hmm. you know what? Forward progress is forward progress. And yeah. um, you know, when, when large organizations are willing and able to have that conversation with you and to make changes as a result of it, it's good. And again, I will say to their credit, um, it would have been really easy for the company to not continue to engage me in, in different ways, but they have. And they've yeah. continued to reach out and ask for my feedback. And I know that they know every time they do, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it is. <laughs> it is. I, so I, and I love that because that, you know, this is the, and it's an ongoing process, right? Because when you, when you use the protocol and when you have to lean in, it doesn't mean that it is over once you've done it. Like it, it's an ongoing process that you sometimes have to keep revisiting, sometimes all the way back to the beginning of recognizing something new, or sometimes yeah. it's like re-interrupting when it doesn't change. And it just, I mean, the larger thing kind of away from the protocol is just when I think about the fact that, you know, they have different versions um, of, of, of a textbook <laughs> for different states. Like, it's crazy. And I don't know that people mm -hmm. understand that, right? That they understand that there are some versions that are extremely problematic that really yeah. present yes. horrible, um, like racist kind yes. of perspectives and that, and they're teaching that as history, right? And the fact mm -hmm. that a, a textbook company can have multiple versions 
of history, depending on what state it is, lets you know that they're not actually even really teaching history. It's not real history, mm -hmm. right? right? There was a podcast yesterday with the LA Times. It was amazing. Um, and it's based on the 1619 podcast. Mm -hmm. It was the author of the 1619 podcast. And, and she talked about, she's like, well, you know what? The only reason we need ethnic studies is that if we actually taught history with all the players participating in the history, from the multiple perspectives, there would be no need for ethnic studies because mm. in history. And, and for me, that was like, I think I know that, um, but but to hear it said out loud was really that thing where it just kind of went like, like an anchor and it just went boom, right? Mm -hmm. It just kind of locked in. I'm like, yeah, you know what? If we actually um, created textbooks that told the true story, that told the full story, then mm -hmm. there would be no need for, you know, uh, you know, uh, different, you know, ethnic study courses, or if there were, that would be able to go deeper in something mm -hmm. like if you wanted to learn, you know, about a specific culture in depth, that would not be allowed in the general curriculum, but we mm -hmm. wouldn't have the, the great need right now that we have just for us to be able to learn about ourselves as, you know, by BIPOC um, people and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to engage in, 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 in learning in our, in our system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, Nicole, what, what your story brings up for me is, um, you know, Nancy, you're always saying, we don't know what we don't know, right? And it shows how these textbook companies probably genuinely did not know how problematic they were being because when you, opened, when you opened up that conversation, Oh, you I don't brought know. it to their intention. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but I the textbook companies know because that's why they have different versions, but well, I think- I think that the people, I think that the people who are the recipients of it, they don't know what they don't know. Like that, that was one of my comments yesterday is that mm -hmm. teachers can't teach what they don't know. So if you're a product of, of this information mm -hmm. and you've never been exposed to anything else, then you can't help but perpetuate it. So that's how it keeps the system right. going. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to give the textbooks that leave, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, either way, it, <laughs> it shows how, the RIR works, right? It shows how mm -hmm. when you do that interruption, it really has results. And it, like you were saying, Nancy, it, it was the system. And whether that exact presenter that came to you knew how problematic they were being or not, or if it was historically that textbook company was feeding this information, people were just perpetuating it. It was still the system that was rolling and rolling and rolling and no one was stepping into it to interrupt it. So this, was being yeah. widespread to all these teachers and you interrupted it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that it's a protocol and it's also about money, right? I mean, like, like, let's yeah. get real quick. Because mm -hmm. if you weren't such a huge district, I'm mm -hmm. not sure that you would have had the impact That's and true. that they would have invested that money. You were spending a lot of money because you are a very large district. And That's so absolutely it true. Incentivizes them to make those changes because they don't lose your business. And so this whole thing of economic um leverage and economic power, if we understand, if we use the protocol to interrupt those systems, if we're working for social justice and we realize that the best way to get change is to hit the pocketbook, we're not going to hit them on the morality. Some people, I mean, I think you did on some level, like they were really truly wanting to, but at the end of the day, you hit them because of the finances. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with you, Nancy. And something else that that statement brings up for me is the role of privilege in this work. Um, money is money is a form of privilege. Whiteness is a form of privilege. And so some, the, 
really this is also about using our privilege which means that we're an, a large district we have a level of privilege in this in this larger system of education that smaller districts don't yes and so we can use that privilege to affect change Absolutely. just like we can use our personal privilege to affect change and use the platforms that we are offered in order to have these difficult conversations and it's mm -hmm. i think that it is the responsibility of people and organizations with privilege mm -hmm. to move this conversation and to continue to move this conversation yeah mm -hmm. absolutely you nailed it that's it i mean that, that's exactly it and and understanding that recognizing that you have um you have power and you also with that power comes a responsibility mm -hmm. and um and so the more conscious you are and understanding of of um kind of what's right. I mean, it really does come down to this, this moral rightness, right? About, um, you know, who do we say we are? If we have a, a progressive mission statement that says that we are educating all children, then by golly, you need to educate all children. And it doesn't, it's not all children who look like me or who look like you. It's all children, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how they show up in your spaces. And what does that really mean? And, um, and what does that look like? So, you know, Nicole, thank you so much. Uh, thank that, you. That awesome, yeah. And that's a whole nother, really, we're going to get into it because we got to start talking about we're going to, how we start to dismantle these systems and really hold people who are perpetuating um, our current circumstance accountable. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think, Nicole, you're an inspiration and your district's an inspiration and it's a, it's a bright light to show what can happen when you, when you um, put some knowledge behind um, that power and privilege that you have and what kind of change can happen know through the lens of the protocol mm -hmm. absolutely well it's always wonderful to see you nancy yeah. and bailey and i go way back so it's really <laughs> lovely to see bailey again and connect with her so yes. <laughs> thank you so well, much Bailey, for being the 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 uh, perfect host for this mm -hmm. conversation and and sharing your perspective um, thank mm -hmm. you both thank you so much thank you Visit www.epoceducation.com for resources that will help you to understand and navigate the ever-changing world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are a company that trains and transforms with innovative in-person and online equity workshops that support school districts and leaders to build capacity to carry on this work internally. Now go out and have an epic day.